This morning we will be reading from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So please turn with me in your Bibles. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This concludes the reading of God's Word. Well, anniversaries are, are curious things. I don't know about you, but I was, I was filled with all manner of different emotions this week preparing for today, and as I thought about this idea of anniversaries in general, and interact and talk with many of you about anniversaries in your own life, they are curious things. They, they can be an occasion for joy, you know, like on September 9th, um, my oldest son will turn 10, our first one to hit double digits, that's, that's an occasion for joy. Uh, they can be an occasion for sorrow. Um, on March 18th of every year, I, with my family, grieve the loss of my one-year-old niece, Elise Noel, who suddenly died. Anniversaries can be filled with gratitude. Um, If you've reached your golden anniversary, 50 years of marriage, that's a cause for serious gratitude. And they can be filled with regret. Maybe for the years that have gone by, since you've been able to lay eyes on a prodigal son or daughter, and in a word, they're complicated. And I would argue that church anniversaries are no different, friends. Uh, my, my heart is filled with awe at the amazing work God has done in and through our congregation with sadness for the people I wish were still with us, with anticipation for the work that God has yet to do, and, and with gratitude that the great shepherd himself saw fit to call a young man like me to shepherd the flock of God. I told Eliza this week when we were out Friday night, there's nothing I'd rather do. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Though it is not easy, friend, whoever said that. <laughs> but it is a joy. I should also add at the outset that besides acknowledging anniversaries are complicated, and we're going to speak to that. Uh, this sermon's going to be a little bit different than what we typically do. So typically at Kingsway, if you're new or, or visiting, uh, we normally preach can, through whole books of the Bible, a front to back, not because we think that makes us more godly, we just found that helpful, um, enables us to give attention to the whole counsel of the Word of God. So we just finished preaching through the whole book of Genesis. I can't believe we made it. Um, I hope to preach through uh, First Thessalonians this summer, at least that's a tentative plan, 
And then later this fall to start a much longer series from the Gospel of John. Those of you who are wondering. Uh, But this morning I direct your attention to the first 11 verses of Paul's letter to the Philippians. For this reason, I think that this section of Scripture, more than many others, helps us to think biblically, as I prayed earlier, about our past, present, and future as a church. And I would argue, friends, that the story of God's work in the church in Philippi is no different in its essence than the story of God's work in this congregation. The circumstances may look different. The times may be different. We're wearing very different clothing than the congregation in Philippi would have worn. But the essence of our story is the same. What's that? I'd summarize it this way. From beginning to end, the story of our church is a story of grace. The story of our church is a story of grace. And when I use the word grace, because that can be like, oh, churchy word, there he goes. I mean something very specific by that, okay? When you hear me talk about grace, I'm referring to the unmerited favor of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's unmerited in the sense that we don't deserve God's favor. And I should add that that what makes, think about this, what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world is that unlike every other religion, Christianity doesn't tell you to try to earn God's love and acceptance. Why not? Because you can't. (laughs) You can't earn God's love and acceptance. Because we're all sinners. We've all broken God's law in countless ways. So, So what does God do? Well, God sends Jesus Christ to earn his love and acceptance for us. That's what he does. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he makes a way for for relationship with God to be restored. And if you're willing to turn away from sin and turn toward trusting Jesus, then the Lord will grant you the gift of God's righteousness. And when he does that, you know what happens? From that point forward, friend, you become the eternal object of God's favor and God's blessing. It's stunning. And so when I say from beginning to end, the story of our church is a story of grace, what I mean by that is that from start to finish, the the reality, the definition, the the banner, if you would, you know how to a party, it would be like a banner like, you made it over the hill, you know, things like that. The banner over all that has happened All that is happening, all that's going to happen to us as a people is rooted, is is grounded, is sustained, and will be preserved by the unmerited favor of God. That's what I mean by that, okay? So, in these 11 verses, I have no time to point out everything that is helpful. I quit doing that about midday yesterday and just gave up. So, we're going to focus on a couple expressions of God's unmerited favor to his church. And I think as we do that, we're going to see why the story of our church is a story of grace. So expression number one, direct your attention to verses one and two. Our identity is found in Christ. So if you want to know, all right, Williams, why is the story of our church a story of grace? Here's where we need to start, okay? It's a story of grace because God has expressed his unmerited favor toward us by giving us an identity in Jesus Christ. 
If I ask you to identify this church, particularly those of you who are members of this church, what would you say? How would you identify this church? Would you say, well, this is a Reformed church? Reformed church. I'm teasing some of you right now. I love the fact this is a Reformed church. This is a church that holds to the sovereignty of God and salvation, to the glory of God. Would you say this is a charismatic church? Any of you would like to cheer right now? You're Welcome to, I'm grateful this is a charismatic church. I'm, I'm grateful that we believe that all of the spiritual gifts operative in the New Testament church are still available to us today. W- would you say this is the church that went through a very painful split in 2011? Would you say this is the church where the former senior pastor made the local news in 2016? Would you say that we're the church with the big, beautiful building across from Midlothian High School? Or or would you say that we're a church where I have been cared for spiritually and physically in countless ways by the members there? I hope you'd say that last one in, in the list, but I'll freely admit there's truth in all of those statements, Okay? But here's the key question. Here's the key question. Is the way you identify our church, is the first thing that comes into your mind when you think about our church match what comes into God's mind when God thinks about our church? There's a lot of true things we could say, but what's the most important thing we could focus on? What comes into God's mind when God thinks about our church? And I think in the first two verses, We get an answer to that because the Apostle Paul points us to the essential identity of the local church. Verse 1, Paul and Timothy, probably best translated, slaves of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Overseers and deacons, I guess. Special treatment, I guess. No, okay? Paul isn't writing to an unorganized mass of Christians who just happen to live in Philippi. We can think about that sometimes. Well, he just sent a letter and, you know, went on a bunch of carrier pigeons. They just kind of dropped versions of Philippians and, oh, wow, I got a letter. No. All right? He's writing to an organized local church. Like this. Churches is an organism, first and foremost, but it is also an organization with biblical officers. In this case, Paul's reminding us there are two offices in the church of an enduring nature, overseers or pastors, shepherds, and deacons or servants. But before he singles out two groups of leaders for special mention, what I want you to notice is how Paul speaks of the whole. What's the core identity of the church in Philippi? They are what? Saints or holy ones in Christ Jesus. That's his opening answer to who are the Philippians. They're saints, they're holy ones. And there's a rich wealth of Old Testament background to that phrase. Okay, So in Exodus 19, verse 6, the Lord tells his people Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right? And that culminates in the New Testament, 1 Peter 2 9. 
But you are in Christ a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In other words, friend, if if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you know that you're a follower of Christ because the body of Christ, the church, has affirmed your profession through water baptism and is presently overseeing your profession through covenant membership, then you share something in common with every other covenant member of your church. You're a saint. We're saints. We're a community of saints. Not in the sense that we all got promoted to super-Christian status, okay? And that somehow other people around the world should start praying to us as if we have special blessings to bestow. You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. But we're saints in the sense that, that God, as an expression of his unmerited favor, has set us apart from the world in Christ to pursue his priorities and purposes. So, what is King's Way? What is King's Way? The most true and accurate thing you can say and answer that question is that we are God's holy people. We're, we're a community of men and women who have been redeemed from sin and death and set apart to help each other enjoy a growing relationship with God. And if when you think about our church, that's not what comes into your mind, what I just said, then friend, I'd simply say you're not thinking about our church the way God thinks about our church. Because our identity isn't found in our statement of faith. I love our statement of faith. Or our church covenant, or our denominational partnership, or the circumstances of our history, good, bad, and ugly. Where is our identity found, Kingsway? It's found in Jesus Christ. That's our identity. What, what does the world say? The world says, well, let's pull up your timeline, and I'll pick out some circumstances, and then I'll decide who you are. What does God say? God says, you are in Christ Jesus, Kingsway. That's who you are. And because we're saints in Christ, verse 2, God to the glory of Christ has given us what? Two things, grace and peace. Grace is unmerited favor. We've already defined that. And when unmerited favor, when that plane lands in the hearts of God's people, what happens next? What spills off the plane? Peace. Peace in our vertical relationship with God. Peace in our relationships with each other. So I ask you, friend, on this point, How do you think about the local church? Do you think about it the way God thinks about it? Do you you think of it as a product that you evaluate as a consumer? Do you think about it as as an event you attend or, or a building you show up at once a week? According to the Bible, Kingsway isn't a building. It's not an event. It's a community of saints who have received grace and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And if you don't identify the church the way God identifies the church, then you'll never love the church the way God loves the church. And you'll never persevere in serving the church the way the Lord perseveres in serving the church. So so on the occasion of our 30th anniversary, what do we do well to remember? That our identity comes from Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Our identity has not been up for grabs over the last 30 years. Our identity is not up for grabs in the next 30 years. Our identity is secure, Kingsway, in Jesus Christ. Expression number two, verses three to eight. Our future is secure in Christ. Is there a repeated word in those two statements? What is it? Christ. 
Yes. That's right. And by design, our future is secure in Christ. So I want you to look at verse 3 now. Because we've got some logic to follow. Because whenever Paul thinks of or remembers the church in Philippi, whenever he prays for the church in Philippi, something crazy happens. What happens? He gives thanks to God. Some of the time. No. All of the time. All of the time. Verse 4, he gives thanks to God, always making my prayer with joy. How could Paul say that? Think about that. What, what enabled him, whenever the church came into his mind, this local church came into his mind, to overflow with joyful thanksgiving to God? Well, look at verse 5, because here's the reason. Because, purpose statement, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That's why Paul, whenever he thinks of the Philippians, he's just overflowing with joy and thanksgiving. I would argue that's why, friend, today as a member of Kingsway, when you think of Kingsway, your heart should overflow with joy and thanksgiving. Why? Well, there's two senses in which the Philippians were partners in the gospel with Paul, okay? First, we learn in chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, you can look there later if you like, that they had financially supported Paul's ministry of planting and building local churches all across the known world for a long time. And this whole letter is actually a missionary thank you letter because they had just received yet another gift from Paul. So that's one reason. But there's a second reason that, that Paul considered them partners in the gospel that, that I would argue is even more foundational. And here's the reason, okay? Like Paul, they had turned away from sin and toward following Jesus Christ. They had something in common with the apostle. All, all, think of it this way, all the eternal and temporal benefits of salvation in Christ that Paul enjoyed, the Philippians also enjoyed. And so when, when Paul steps back and he thinks about all the blessing, all that God's done for them, the grace and peace he's lavished on them as saints in Christ Jesus, he recognizes that's the exact same thing that I've received from God too. We're sharing in something. We're partners in something. We, we're partners in the grace God is pouring out in the gospel. And that fills his heart with joy. And so I tell you this morning, friend, if, if you're a member of Kingsway, you too are a partner in the gospel. You're, you're a partner in the salvation that is ours. You're a partner in the community that is ours. You're a partner in the mission that is ours. You, you stand, as it were, shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters in Christ here under the same mighty waterfall of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that is pouring down on you for your entire life because of Jesus. And notice, look at verse 4, a very important little phrase in the middle of that verse. Paul, Paul overflows with thanksgiving to God for you all, or y'all, for every member of the church. Not just the ones who were easy to lead. Or the ones who were easy to talk with. Or the ones who were in his season of life. Or the ones who were his close friends. All of them. Brothers and sisters, our attitude should be exactly the same toward every member of this congregation. If in your heart you can't joyfully thank God, for every member of this church, 
for the simple reason that they are partners with you in the gospel. And then I remind you once again, you are not thinking about the church the way God thinks about the church. Because every fellow member of your church is a fellow heir of our spiritual inheritance in Jesus Christ. You're co-heirs. So here's the critical question. Given we're partners in the gospel, what's true about our church? Here's where we get to the main point. What, what's true about, about our little group, Midlothian, Virginia, partners in the gospel, that we need to keep in mind more than anything else? We'll look at verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This is going to preach. <laughs> it's been preached in my heart this week. Okay, so what Paul is saying here is stunning. Because if any human being, think about this, if any human being had the right to take some serious personal credit for the work that had gone down in Philippi, who was it? Paul. I don't know, he kind of planted the church. I don't know, his imprisonment in a jail sort of started the church. I mean, that's Paul. Serious gospel ministry game. But notice Paul doesn't point to himself, right? He points to the Lord. He says, listen, Philippians, let, let's be clear about something, guys, okay? I'm so grateful for you, but let's be clear about something. This isn't my work. This isn't your work. This church is God's work. So Kingsway, hear something this morning. Hear this this morning. The, the good spiritual work that God has been doing in this church for 30 years is not your work. It wasn't Gene's work. It's not my work. It's God's work. Because we're his workmanship. Our, our church is here because God is here. It's that simple. And that has serious implications for the future. What do I mean by that? Well, think about it. What does God do when he starts a good work in his local church, like Kingsway, what does he do? He finishes the work, right? He brings his work, verse 6, to completion. Even if we have to wait for the day of Christ, the return of Christ, to see how all the things that happened to us were all worked together for good. What God begins, God completes, friend. What God starts God finishes. That, that's not just true for us individually. That's true for us corporately. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Philippians 1.6 is not some sort of guarantee that this actual congregation will be here in 100 and 1,000 and 10,000 years. It's not what I'm saying. I, I hope the Lord comes back before then, to be quite frank. What I am saying is that Philippians 1.6 is a powerful assurance that you and I as members of this church should not be anxious worried or troubled about the future of our church because God knows what he is doing through us. And God knows the work he has begun in us and God's not going to fail to bring to completion the work that God wants to do through us. That's where we hang our hat on Philippians 1.6. And that's true, not just when things seem to be going well. Right? When, when people keep coming and staying and coming and staying and it's still true when people come and only stay for a short while. Or when they stay for a long while and then they suddenly depart. 
It's true when church life is easy. It's true when church life is hard. And I say that because of verse 7. Where Paul says something profound. He says, look there, it is right for me to feel this way. What way? The verse 6 confidence kind of way. It's right for me to feel this way, to have such confidence in the Philippians' future because they are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I read that and I think, whoa, 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 where was your editor? That's so strange. (laughs) Are you experiencing God's unmerited favor includes the grace of imprisonment? Weird. Well, it's not so strange if you remember who we're following. Because we follow a suffering Savior. It's, think about this. Some of you really need to hear this. It is grace, not only for us as members of the church, but also for the entire watching world around us in this city when we endure through sorrow and tribulation. Why? (laughs) Because it is in that time, more than any other time, that the world has a chance to see the power of God in our weakness. That's grace. It's unmerited favor when you get to experience the power of God in your weakness and in our weakness as a church. It's, It's grace when the world gets to see the power of God in our weakness as a church. So you have to ask, at a point like this, you read verse 7 and and you have to ask, are are we held together, King's Way, by nothing more than easy sailing? Or are we gloriously sustained and preserved by a Savior who never stops refining and sanctifying his people, listen, both through the suffering others inflict upon us and the trouble we inflict upon ourselves? Which one is it? Praise God, it's the second one. Because in so doing, we incarnate through the the cruciform pattern of our life the very truth of the gospel God has charged us to proclaim. And there are times we get to see God complete his good and perfect work. In and through our church, because the men and women that we, we help to enjoy a growing relationship with God come and stay and remain. And there are other times that we invest and we pour ourselves into someone only to watch them depart. And when that happens, and especially when that happens, what do we do? We cling to the promise in Philippians 1 verse 6 that God always completes the good work he begins. God always does. Sometimes we get to see it. Sometimes we have to wait. And this morning, there are two folks who are no longer physically with us who want to share how God began a good work in their life through Kingsway. The first is... Mandy England. We're going to watch both of these video testimonies shortly. Mandy was here for only four months, many years ago. Uh, But the good work God did in her life through us is quite profound. Uh, She came to understand the gospel because of this church. And she is now serving as a full-time missionary in Southeast Asia with her husband David and Fred and Don Windelmeyer. And the second testimony is from Eric Volman. Eric and his wife, Heather, were members of Kingsway for, for many years, a number of years. 
They moved to Florida and are soon to join the Sovereign Grace Church in Jacksonville as covenant members there. So I invite you to watch these video testimonies with me, friends, and as you hear these stories, to be assured in your heart that God completes the good work he begins. Let's watch these together. Kingsway, your church is a tangible expression of God's grace and faithfulness in my life, and I can honestly say I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Um, my husband, David, and I came to Kingsway about eight years ago in 2011. He was working for the Air Force in Colorado and was sent for four months to Fort Lee to train. And at the time, I was pregnant with our first child. I'd grown up in church my whole life, um, but when we married really early in college, the inner workings of my heart became very exposed and I became a very angry and bitter person. So at this point, when we came to Virginia, our marriage was rocky at best, and every day was really a struggle as I wrestled with anger and bitterness and felt just completely helpless to stop, change, or forgive. Our first Sunday at Fort Lee, David, who had always really enjoyed Simon Grace music, found Kingsway online and he really wanted to go. And I was at a particularly low point that morning, feeling like a fraud and like I could never change. But somehow I decided to go with him. That morning Matthew preached on Matthew 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. And as soon as he started speaking, I knew the message was for me. And I knew who I was supposed to be in the parable. I was the man who had been forgiven much, but who refused to forgive someone who had a small debt against me. But I told God, I just didn't see it that way. The sin that David had done against me just seemed far greater than anything I'd ever done against God. And I asked God to, to help me see it, to open my eyes, and he did. He chose that morning in your church and that sermon to be the time that he opened my eyes to understand the truth of the gospel for the first time and to see the holiness of God in my sin and to experience the lavishness of God's grace for the first time. And my life became markedly different. I was free to finally forgive those who had sinned against me and to live in light of the grace of the gospel. I had a hunger for the word of God for the first time and just began devouring Romans. I had so many questions about the Bible and about theology and about God's sovereignty. Despite knowing we would only be in Virginia for a few months, several people came alongside us and opened their homes and shared their lives generously with us during that time. It was a rich season of discipleship. People answered my questions and heard my thoughts and recommended books and prayed with me. Pretty early on, someone I had just met and barely knew invited me to go on a trip with her family to New Jersey for the week, and my friendship with her ended up being incredibly formative. A new mom herself and I about to experience motherhood for the first time, the hours that I spent in her home each week watching and learning from her examples of parenting and hospitality gave me examples of what it looks like to glorify God in homemaking and motherhood. Another friend frequently met me for breakfast at Panera to share her heart and the riches of Christ that she gleaned over the years. I was so struck by the fluency of her God-focused words. It imprinted my heart and to this day spurs me to pursue the Lord with such a passion. 
First Corinthians 11 comes to mind when Paul said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I saw the love of Christ in and through these women. It reflected in their parenting and their serving and their ministry and in their relationships. And it spurred me to want to reflect the love of Christ to others as well. In thinking about how much time is necessary to build a relationship and to have an impact on someone's life, when I think about our time at Kingsway, one day was enough to have lasting, eternal impact on my life. And four months of friendship and mentoring have had one of the strongest and most positive ripple effects on the last eight years of my life. I'm forever grateful for the way that God used Kingsway to be such a positive means of grace in our lives. Hey Kingsway, remember me? You know, I think about those times, um, those years that we spent at Kingsway, living life with all of you and just how sweet that was. And when I have those memories, there's a particular verse that comes to mind. I'd like to share it with you. It's from Philippians chapter one, starting in verse three. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's how I view Kingsway. The Robertsons, the Sturgeons, the Williams, the Krugers, the Shanks, the Kofis, the Hagens, Man, I, I can go on and on. But even though I can only find those times in the past, I am incredibly thankful every time I remember them because each of you have had such a profound impact on my faith and on my life. And there's something really special at Kingsway. It doesn't just happen everywhere. It's, it's a true work of the Lord and something I always treasure in my heart. But the most remarkable thing, though, is that we'll never stop having this partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a God that sees to completing his good work and everyone that's ever had the privilege of being part of a body that loves each other and the Lord like you guys do. And this was a wonderful opportunity to say thank you. So, thank you. I had no idea those guys were going to quote Philippians. <laughs> but I texted Eric and said, man, you'll never believe after I watch that video what I'm preaching on. Why did I want you to see those? Uh, faces that we miss. I wanted you to see that, friends, for the simple fact that we need to be reminded that God promises to complete the work that God begins. And that should leave us as a church, what? Humble and confident and grateful to God. Because in the Lord's hands, our future and the work that we participate in in the lives of people, whether that is for three decades or three months, 
that work, God says, he's going to complete. He's going to complete. And so we invest, we sacrifice, we love, we serve, we, we lay our life down to help other people around us follow Jesus, not with our eyes on that person, or our eyes on the pastor, or our eyes on how long they are here, but with our eyes on the Savior who has promised what? I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. From beginning to end, our church story is a story of grace. Because our identity comes from Christ, our future is secure in Christ, and I'll end with this. Expression of unmerited favor number three, verses 9 to 11, our mission is fulfilled through Christ. Fulfilled through Christ. So in these verses, 9 to 11, Paul shifts from a prayer of thanksgiving to a prayer of intercession. A prayer that, that reflects God's priorities. That's how I want you to think of this, not just for the church in Philippi, but for local churches in every age and every time and every culture. So, so listen once more to Paul's prayer as I read this, and in his prayer, listen for God's priorities for our future. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. God's priorities for our local church, suffice it to say. And I have no doubt that if I polled all of the members of this church, I would hear all sorts of biblical burdens, good desires, for our next 30 years. Okay, I, I have a desire that God would numerically grow our church by bringing men and women, not first and foremost from other churches, but out of the world who do not know him and are saved in this church. I have a desire for that. We're, we're, we're asking God to give us an opportunity this year to read and study his word with one non-Christian friend this year so we can be a part of that. I have a desire that we would pay off this big, beautiful building that I mentioned earlier sooner than 15 years. And we shouldn't shy away from praying numerical or financial prayers like that. But, hear this, we have to remember that our mission as a church doesn't start with numbers and dollar signs. It starts in the heart. It starts in your heart starts with who we are on the inside, not, not just individually, but corporately. For this reason, hear this, Kingsway, the spiritual condition of your heart will determine the spiritual fruitfulness of this church. The spiritual condition of your heart will determine the spiritual fruitfulness of this church. Not the excellence of the transitions on Sunday morning. Not the immaculate performance. Performance? What's that? Of the preacher. Praise God, it isn't a performance. And so many of the things that this world says, that's what matters. You read Leadership Magazine. Here's what you need to do. Here's Here's the ticket to growth. Friends, the growth that God cares about starts in your heart. Starts in your heart, okay? And, and we need to take care as we look to the future that God's priorities, the way that God calls us to become more like Christ in verses 9 to 11, are our priorities. 
So what are, what are our priorities? Let's wrap up with this. Three of them. First, God calls us to pursue love. Love for him, love for our neighbors. Not the kind of sappy, whatever makes you feel accepted nonsense our culture espouses, but a true love, a strong love, a, a sacrificial love that, that marshals all our thoughts, all our words, all our deeds to do genuine spiritual good to the people around us. Second, God calls us to pursue wisdom. See that in verse 10. Knowledge of what God's word says is true. And skill in applying what God says is true to to all the myriad of decisions and situations we face in daily life. That's called discernment. Okay, Knowing what's worthy of approval in God's eyes. And directing our affections and will accordingly. And, And finally... Verse 11, God calls us to pursue holiness, love, wisdom, holiness. Notice being pure and blameless for the day of Christ doesn't mean achieving moral perfection in this life. It means a pattern of life that's that's a pattern of submission to God's authority in every area. No exceptions or exemptions allowed. And the reason for this holiness, keep this in mind, okay, is that when the world sees in us Kingsway, a faithful echo of the love and wisdom and holiness of God, what are they going to see? They're going to see Jesus, right? They're going to be drawn to Jesus, and and they'll come to share in the righteousness that is only found through Jesus. That's the essence of our mission. Love, wisdom, and holiness. Now look at verse 11. Because we've got to finish this by asking the question, how in the world is that going to happen? Well, the fruit of righteousness, filled with the fruit of righteousness, thinking what God thinks, feeling what God feels, doing what pleases the Lord, is only possible how? What does Paul say? Fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. That means that we are utterly and completely dependent on the power Jesus pours out on us through the gift of the Holy Spirit to fulfill our mission. That's what that means. John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Fruit of righteousness. And you can just feel his disciples like, oh, man. I thought I loved you, but gosh, you're tall order. So what does he say? Very next verse. Guys, don't freak out. I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. So what happens when we're willing to trust Jesus? When we're willing to bring our our weaknesses, our non-fruits of righteousness to Jesus, and, and cry out for help to keep becoming in our life, what we've already been declared to be in the courtroom of heaven. You know what happens when you do that? When you keep praying the most powerful prayer in the universe, which is what? Help, Lord. Your Savior pours out the Holy Spirit. And he gives you the help you need. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near. Help, Lord, to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Kingsway, our mission to walk in love, 
to walk in wisdom, to walk in holiness, we can only do that with the power that Jesus Christ provides. That's why Paul says this fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord. If like me, you're, you're struggling, you're fighting to walk in righteousness, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Amen? The Lord delights to show his unmerited favor by empowering us to fulfill our mission to become more like him. Kingsway, becoming more like Christ, it isn't about showing the world how great we are. Please hear that. It's about showing the world how great Jesus is. Because when we continue to walk in righteousness as a church, times of plenty and times of want, when church life is easy, when church life is hard, God is glorified in our church and God will be praised as a result of our church. So take care as you think about the next 30 years that your highest ambition for Kingsway is not that we would be comfortable or not that our life would be easy or not that we would have smooth sailing onward and upward to glory, but rather that God would be glorified through this church. As we walk in love and wisdom and and holiness when it's easy and when it's hard. So why is our church a story of grace from beginning to end? It's because in God's unmerited favor, he has given us an identity that comes and is found in Christ. A future that is secure in Christ. And a mission to become more like Christ that will be fulfilled through the power of Christ. That is is why the story of our church is a story of grace. And so I charge you, King's Way, to be clear on our identity, to be confident in our future, and to be committed to fighting for godliness in every area of life. If we do that, God is going to get serious glory in the next 30 years. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are grateful for grace. Mm -mm -mm. We are grateful that you are not a God who in your absolute justice only gives what we deserve. We are thankful today, on the occasion of this anniversary, that you are a God who delights to pour out unmerited favor upon your people. And so I pray today, Lord, that you would teach us as members of this local church to think about this church the way you do. To be confident in our future the way Jesus himself is. And to be earnestly committed to the pursuit of love and wisdom and holiness, not so that people think we're amazing, but so that they see Jesus through our life. Lord, we love you. And on this day, we thank you that we get to be a part of the story you're writing in this place, which is all about grace. Amen.